COVID has affected us all, and with all the negativity surrounding it, it's often hard to find the positive. One of the blessings it has given us is the opportunity to build an avenue for creating change, starting right here in our community. Discussing topics that affect us most, such as racism in healthcare, maintaining a positive mindset, creating change, the importance of advocacy, and the many lessons we have all learned from COVID. If you or your organization are interested in speaking engagements, send a message to quadcast99 at gmail.com, reach out on Facebook at Quadcast, or online at drquadjo.ca. Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Quadro Caramante. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. Quackass Nation, yes! Welcome back. We have an episode that I'm really excited about because we've never had a naturopathic doctor in the mix. We've never really talked about integrative health, complementary medicine. So today is the day. We got, I'm going to say a now friend of mine, Dr. Dougal Seeley. Those that don't know, I'm a big fan of this family. Gene Seeley, radiologist at the Ottawa Hospital. Andrew Seeley, colleague of mine in the ICU, also a thoracic surgeon. You'll hear him soon on this show. Their father, John Seeley, rest in peace, who's probably the real reason I ended up being a palliative care doc. And Dougald, he really throws down on this episode. We talk about how complementary medicine could really impact people's chronic conditions, whether that's cardiovascular health, whether that's cancer, whether that's chronic pain. And we even talk a little bit about complementary medicine within COVID, you know, some of the quote unquote taboo topics in some ways, but it's, it's an eye opener. The reason I think it's important is because of the holistic approach, looking at the patient as a, as a whole, what are elements within their care that could be optimized to give them the best outcomes. And we even make the case about how cost effective some of these strategies might be. Before jumping on that, I want to point you all towards solvinghealthcare.ca backslash shop our online conferences. We significantly reduce that price. Yo, we're talking $9.99 for stress management for low carb. So y'all hit that up, man. Knowledge being dropped all over the place. Sprinkling it. It's crazy. Anyway, jump on that. And without further ado, let's jump into our conversation with Dr. Dougald Seeley. Boom. All right, Quadcast Nation, I am absolutely excited to bring to you Dr. Dougald Seeley. Like, I, we have so many ties to this family. I work with your dad. I work with your brother, Andrew, in the ICU. See your sister on the hospital, too, Jean. Seen her on the news, too. So, Dougald, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, it's such a pleasure to be here and to speak to you. Uh, I'm, I'm, it's a real treat. Thank you. Absolutely. I, I'm really excited to hear about your clinic because this is, you're the first naturopathic doctor to be on the show. And I think there's a lot to be learned about alternative methods. And 
I think this would be a great avenue just to hear your thoughts on why you got into it, but maybe even specifically, uh, Dougal, like what's your, what's your clinic all about, Center for Health Innovation? Yeah, great. Well, thanks for the opportunity to, to speak about this. Um, the, the, um, uh, I have uh, been a naturopathic doctor since 2003 and graduating and got involved in, in cancer research um, early on in, in my career at the college, at the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine. And so just in terms of moving to Ottawa and creating the clinic, there was actually, we we started the Ottawa Integrative Cancer Center in 2011. And it was really to be a uh, sort of a a flagship uh, clinic looking at providing clinical care that is integrative, that includes naturopathic medicine, but other types of complementary and functional medicine for patients dealing with cancer. And, um, and to do the research in that. And that was really uh, something that was um, done in conjunction with and, and supported by the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine from Toronto, where I graduated, and with a whole research arm. More recently, literally just um, a, a few months ago, we've actually expanded our care into the Center for Health Innovation. So we're still the home for the Ottawa Integrative Cancer Center, but now with the CHI, the, the goal is to expand our care to other chronic conditions that are really well-suited for the delivery and the use of complementary and integrative medicine. So that could include cardiovascular disease, diabetes, um, mental health disorders, uh, issues that, 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 are, that are really can be supported by a more holistic approach to care. And so that's, that's really sort of the, 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 the main focus of the clinic is, is providing multidisciplinary integrative care to people with chronic disease that can benefit from it and to do some of the research as well alongside this to evaluate the outcomes that um, we're, we're, we're seeing for, for, for the people that are coming to the clinic. This is exciting. This is exciting. So maybe even give us a sense of like what kind of disciplines are within your clinic. So um, naturopathic medicine is probably the core. We've got five naturopathic doctors here at the clinic. And um, then it would be, I would say, probably acupuncture and then functional medicine would be the next. Um, we've got an acupuncturist here who's superb and sees lots of patients, um, whereas and he can see more at one time, whereas the naturopathic doctors are focused on one person at a time. And, um, you know, we'll see uh, people virtually, obviously, now we have a nurse practitioner that does a functional medicine kind of a practice that incorporates integrative uh, elements of complementary medicine with more traditional conventional medicine approaches. And then we've got yoga therapy, we've got craniosacral therapy, we've got psychotherapy, uh, physiotherapy, massage therapy. I'm probably missing some, but, but it's, it's a sort of a constellation of, of, of these complementary practices, specific area, um, and really focused on, on what are the key needs that the patient's bringing to the, to the encounter. Well, I, I get excited about this because I think we, in medicine, we're pretty siloed. You know, we're pretty, like you got, you know, specialists in the left toe, you know, when it comes to orthopedics. Like it's really been siloed and I, I think the integrative models are what's lacking approaching patients in a whole in a holistic fashion because you know it all ties to, I mean I don't need I don't need to be telling you this but it all ties like your mental health your nutrition your physical health that all t- links together and so 
you know, before maybe giving us a sense of, you know, the, the impacts that you've had, what, like, I think some people get confused with the terms, like, so like naturopath, alternative medicine or alternative health. I heard you mention functional medicine too. Like you get a sense of, like, can we get a sense from you? Like what's the, what's the difference between those specialties? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, it's such a good question. And so important because people really have very, very um, strong conceptions about what these different types of practices can mean. And then, you know, they're, they're sort of blinded by that particular, particular way of looking at it, I would say. But so I really do like to distinguish between alternative and integrative medicine and complementary. I think the reality of most alternative and complementary medicine, which is the umbrella term that's being used for this, is that people are, are using complementary practices like with uh, an acupuncturist or a massage therapist or, or an, a naturopath or a chiropractor, and they're doing this alongside the care that they receive through their GP or if they've got something more serious that they're, they're more dealing with acutely at the hospital. And they're doing this sort of in tandem, but in parallel and, and not in collaboration. So integrative medicine is kind of the, 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 the unicorn that we're trying to catch. That's <laughs> kind of a strange way of putting it, but it, it's trying to, I'd say it's the goal that we're trying to achieve where there's much more collaboration and less siloed even between, you know, the complementary medicine and the traditional medicine. And as you described, there's lots of silos within each of those. So, but um, the more communication uh, that can be happening between the practitioners, the much more supportive the patient feels and is, and there's less risk as well. And so that's the, the ultimate goal. The reality is it's more complementary. Alternative medicine is typically considered as something in opposition to or instead of conventional medicine uh, with, the, with our, um, our, our, our you know, hospital-based system. And some people are using that, uh, that complementary medicine as a true alternative to care. But um, we try to really support people to make the choice that is more integrative, not alternative. And it obviously depends on, you know, what the risk profile is for the patient, how, you know, serious the condition, how much benefit they will receive from, say, you know, surgery for their cancer, for example. You know, we do not want to provide any alternative to that. We want to support them to make the best choice. And, and, um, and so often there's a discussion about what, what it is that the patient might choose to do. And that really looks at this alternative versus uh, complementary and integrative piece. Functional medicine, uh, you mentioned earlier as well. And that's sort of, it's kind of a way of describing much of complementary medicine in the sense that it's, 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 a, it's a physiological approach to supporting people to function better. Mm-hmm. And so it's not so based on diagnostic, diagnostic baskets necessarily, but it's, it's the function of the of the body and the physiology as a whole. How do you support that? And that's that's how I understand functional medicine. Mm-hmm. I, I really like the clear distinction between, you know, complementary and alternative because I think that that or at least for me that really clarifies a lot because I think most clinicians get a little bit, or sorry, most physicians get a little bit anxious when they hear some of these terms because they're worried that instead of doing the conventional methods, they're going to do the alternative method, you know, and, you know, a lot of the times we're recommending something that is, you know, 
evidence-based. It's going to be, you know, likely going to benefit the patient. But I mean, my personal bias when it comes to complementary is that if we know, if we know it's not going to harm the patient, why not try? You know what I mean? Like there's a lot we don't know, uh, especially, I mean, we get pretty, you know, I hate to put physicians in one kind of lens, but we, 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 we often don't look outside of our box, you know, if, if that makes sense. We, we don't look at the evidence for things outside of our specialties. So I think often there's a lot of benefits to some of these complementary practices that we just, as a, as a physician, we do not appreciate. And so this might be a tough question, but could you, can you think of examples of, in your practice of maybe some complementary initiatives that, you know, you see a lot of benefit of, benefit in that are underappreciated that can really benefit some of these chronic conditions? Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, looking at, at, uh, at patient's symptoms and what they're dealing with that is most challenging at the time is, is, is sort of the sweet spot that I would find in terms of practice. So, you know, someone who's coming in with chronic fatigue from, you know, possibly lack of sleep, but also, you know, from the, the, the debilitating effects of chemotherapy or radiation, um, then, you know, that would be an area where I, I feel I have and can contribute to significantly in terms of improving that sense of well-being for them. And I see it all the time. Um, and it, it's using a mix of different approaches, which could be, you know, literally just changing the diet in a way mm-hmm. that can be more supportive for them. And, um, and then certain targeted supplements that may help them in terms of their sleep and, uh, and fatigue dealing with, you know, pain to some degree, uh, although I often refer to the acupuncturist at the clinic for that because I find him incredibly effective for that. But uh, things like hot flashes, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, digestive complaints, you know, the, these, are the, the, these are some of the core areas which, you know, the, the team of naturopathic doctors anyways have a, an ability to really have an effect on. And then for stress management, you know, like, um, good, effective talk therapy, or just dealing with some of the uncertainty and the mystery of, of the medicine and um, what they are encountering is so powerful because mm-hmm. uh, one of the, I think, benefits of complementary practice that we have is that we have typically more time. Mm. And, um, and I think that's part of the model in terms of, you know, OHIP coverage and, and billing and all that, 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 that is there. And unfortunately, patients, it is a fee-for-service practice typically uh, for, for complementary medicine. So that is a reality that we're dealing with. But there is more time that patients have typically with the practitioner. And so it's, it can explore some of the other areas that are contributing to their health, but it's not sort of the key top of mind focus and part of the pathology that they're dealing with. So I think that is um, a contributing factor to, to, to that holistic approach. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, uh, and, and you talked about before about, you know, physicians not having, not, not looking at outside of that box. Well, I mean, physicians have so much information that they're trying to absorb and to keep on, tra- on top of from their own, in their own field. So it's, and, and for me, you know, like I'm not going to advise a patient on what particular chemotherapy they should have or what surgery or like. So in, in some ways, the, 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 the specialization or the silos can support the best information being provided to the patient. 
but ideally there can be an openness to what else is out there that actually can be supportive for that patient. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, when should somebody see you? Do you know what I mean? Like when should the, I, I was thinking about this before the interview, like, like, like it should it be anybody with a chronic condition? Should it be after they've exhausted some things with their family doc? Should they be seeing you early? Do you know what I mean? So from your perspective, when would you like to see or be involved? Uh, well, personally, I, I certainly like to see um, people early on in the process. If we're looking at, you know, cancer specifically, then, and then ideally want to be part of the, the um, part of their team right from the get go, mm. because then, you know, if they, if they start dealing with a particular issue uh, um, you know, it could be a side effect associated with their, with their chemotherapy or something like that. And then we can try to be, more proactive and, and, and get on top of that. Um, but I think just in terms of the uncertainty of what people are facing, it's really nice to have a discussion of what is achievable through complementary medicine. And the reality is unfortunately in our, you know, in our uh, social media and everything is that people have very unrealistic expectations of what complementary and alternative medicine can provide. So that's a very important conversation to have too, because there's many cases where, you know, I'll, I'll deal with a, uh, someone who is looking for that cure, the thing that they absolutely just need to do. And if they did do that, then they wouldn't, you know, they'd be able to overcome the disease. And I think that's generally, well, almost always a, a disempowering place to be and just creates a lot of anxiety, a lot of negative energy for the patient. And so, um, being a, a bit of a, a an information broker almost and helping support decision making around what is you know achievable through complementary and naturopathic care is is an important part and um, and so being early in in the picture is helpful to get ahead of some of the symptoms that they need to deal with and then also to help them address some of the things and to make some of those lifestyle changes that can definitely be supportive for them for sure. So, and other chronic conditions, I think the earlier is better. I think the, the naturopathic medicine approach and, and into complementary medicine approach should not be seen as something that to be used instead of. Mm-hmm. It really should be seen as something that can augment and provide support where physicians don't have the time necessarily or the expertise to give that, that feedback to the patient. Mm-hmm. You know, a GP may only have 15 or 20 minutes or half an hour with a patient if they're lucky. And so to, to cover some of that extra ground, it's just not possible necessarily. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, NDs, naturopathic doctors are trained in referral, know when to send someone on for conventional care, know what the limits of their practice is at that point. And, um, and that's important. And I don't know, like, uh, I, I think there's unfortunately a lot of disinformation about what naturopathic medicine is um, in the, in the community, especially you see it on Twitter and, and like, it's just rather unfortunate what we see in terms of the way that naturopathic medicine and alternative medicine is framed. And it's, it's, um, yeah, there's some bad actors, but there's bad actors in every profession. But, um, anyways, um, sorry. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's, per- that's great. This is what, what you're here for. Cause once again, we want to demythify if that's a word. Uh, some of some of these concerns or some of the stuff that you might see on social media, um, because you know, I I personally think there's a lot of people that benefit from 
people like yourselves and clinics like yourselves, you know, that I've seen firsthand, whether mostly in the palliative care practice, uh, you know, in their journey with their cancer, I've been more exposed to. I was going to ask too, like when it comes to, because you, you guys have a lot of tools in your toolbox, you know, especially being so integrative. I, I'm curious if you find that there's this certain practices that give you the biggest bang for your buck, like in terms of, you know, whether that's supplements, whether that's lifestyle, sleep modification, because I always, I mean, this is, this is my bias that comes in. I'm always all about looking at Pareto's principle, 80-20, what gives you the biggest, Yeah. Uh, what gives you the biggest bang? And, you know, I, I think this is something that often we don't think about enough in medicine. You know, we, we sometimes inundate people with, Hey, change your diet, exercise more, sleep and all that, all these kind of things. Whereas, you know, maybe this is, we should start with X and this might actually give you the biggest benefit early on. Does, does any, does any of the practices come to mind in, in your world? It's interesting as uh, just listening to you sort of reflect on it. Like I, I, I think, <laughs> um, yeah, that 80, 20 rule I think is, is applicable in so many different areas and medicine and what is effective is, is probably, um, uh, you know, very much the case as well. But, um, I really look to the patient to give me the guidance often yeah. because like if someone comes to see me and I have it frequently enough is like, I'm, I'm willing to do anything doc, but just don't, change my diet, (laughs) you know, like I'm not willing to go there and they may have a BMI of 35. They may be like, you know, they may be like really suffering from, from that diet, but, and I will try to guide them to open, open that discussion at some point, but I'm not going to start there. And um, so a, there has to be the openness from the patient in terms of what it is that might be that they might use. Right. And, uh, and what they're willing to do because the, 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 the approach, the, the, the approach in, in naturopathic medicine certainly is, is very interactive with the patient. It requires a lot of the patient, um, with lifestyle changes. So there's a coaching element that goes on. And, and so, um, it's really, it's looking at the places where, yes, what are the key conditions that the patient's dealing with? What are the risk factors that they're dealing with and addressing those but really also going at it from, from what is the patient willing and wanting to do. And in some cases, you know, supplements absolutely is the place that they want to start. That's what they expect and they want to go there. Uh, and that's great. We've got a lot of great tools in that, in that kit. Um, but if they're more keen on, on doing this from a, an exercise, fitness, and, 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 and dietary standpoint, well, that's more even more profound, I'd say, because it can really give them the tools to help live a longer and healthier life with what they have in the kitchen and what they have in the environment, all of that. And that's partly, and social as well. Like, it's like, we look at the community that they have too. And um, how do you, how do you build on that? And COVID is decimating that too right now, but anyways. Mm -hmm. um, So it's, it, uh, that's not a great, like, it's not maybe a specific answer as as you're looking for. I think, you know, like nutrition uh, and, and fitness are core for everyone. So always go there. And, and that may seem like, well, anyone can do that and be a coach for it, but, but really to give good guidance and to motivate someone to make those changes, they need to be coached well. And I think that, that, that we, we can provide that support. And then, and then targeting specific conditions that they're dealing with 
And it just, you know, just sometimes it takes that little nudge as a catalyst to get them into a different state of health. So, yeah. No, that's, that's fantastic. Cause I mean, I, I don't mean to oversimplify it. I think that's why it's such a great answer because what I'm hearing is it's really patient centric. It really is. You're going to their level, which is something I feel like we don't do enough. I really like the, the, especially the concept Dougal, of, 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 of spending time with the patient, like really having that, that freedom of, I don't know if it's freedom, but prioritization of mm-hmm. we are going to sit down and really get to know you. And I've heard this from a few docs because uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Tom Saris and Malan Masul, they have a multimorbidity clinic, which is also multidisciplinary. But I remember Tom saying like one of the key elements of creating success is the rapport you build because you spend the time you actually listen and you actually be, are able to get achievable goals because you did listen, you have the rapport and you know, what's what, what tools would work better for them. And I think this is something that, you know, can transcend not, not only naturopathic or, or complementary medicine, but it, you know, it, it's a lesson for all of us, if you will. Yeah. Uh, hearing the patient, as you described, like listening is, is so, is such an important thing. And, uh, um, it's funny, like I, I, my initial appointments with patients is an hour and a half and I often feel like that wasn't enough, <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and then we'll have, I'll have a follow-up of, of an hour or 45 minutes. And I think your, your description of freedom is, is fair. It's, it, it is a freedom to have that time. Um, you know, uh, as long as the patients a, can afford it and have the, the coverage for it, it's not that expensive, but you know, it's an investment that people are making, but, um, it's an, it's one into their own health in that way. Um, yeah, the listening, the active listening and hearing the patients so critical. Yeah. And typically, you know, because you have a lot, of, once again, a lot of tools in your tool, toolbox in terms of, we mentioned reflexologists, massage therapists, et cetera. Is the typical patient, whether it's a cancer patient, cardiovascular, like how multidisciplined is this? Like, are you often seeing three different uh, experts? Are you seeing seven different experts? Like to what extent do are often uh, the patients seeing right. other experts? Yeah, it's like um, a good question. And it really depends on, on the patient, what they're like, what the, 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 the scope of what they're dealing with in terms of their health issues. So, you know, some people are dealing with a lot as we know, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and, um, and so for me, you know, I've got some training in counseling, but it's not my forte and it's not where I can go to a certain point I can hear. And, and there's, there's, a, there's a therapeutic encounter that's just happening from that listening component. But if someone's really dealing with, you know, significant depression or, 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 or mental health issues, then obviously I'm going to want to refer to one of the psychotherapists or, you know, ideally they have someone else community, although we know mental health support in the community is, is rather stretched to say the least. Mm. And so, yeah, it depends on what they're presenting with and, and also what their affinity is. So someone who, for example, is totally benefits from, from massage and loves that, well, then great. I'm going to be like, yeah, you should absolutely make massage part of your life. It's going to get you mm-hmm. into a more relaxed state. It's going to help you, you know, in other ways. 
And then for, for, for someone who's like totally has a fear of needles, I'm not going to refer them to the acupuncturist, even though that particular therapy might be absolutely the best thing for them. Right. Yeah. So um, again, it goes back to patient preference, but um, so we'll get a, a range like some typically uh, patients might see one or two, maybe three practitioners at the clinic. Um, and some are even using four five, six, like it's a, mm-hmm. uh, it, um, it depends on, on what they're dealing with and the experience that they get from those practitioners. And that sort yeah. of, you know, motivates the continuity of, of it or not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Based on need. Yeah. And maybe Dougal, can you walk me through like without obviously, you know, compromising confidentiality, but just kind of like case, like success stories, like, like a typical, whether that's, cancer patient, whether it's from a uh, cardiovascular, what, what have you, but just g- give them a sense of how well your clinic and ex- expertise has impacted lives. Yeah. Um, the, the whole idea of, you know, yeah, these, the, the testimony that, that patients present with and, and, and it, this is, it's always anecdotal evidence and anecdotes are evidence collectively, right? We know that, but um, but it's not a controlled state. So I, I, I never have the, the scenario where I, I, I'm not treating my patients as N of ones where I, you know, will flip them back and forth from a therapy to see how they respond. But the feedback that I'm, I'm getting and that I'm hearing from others is just, it, it can be transformative in terms of mm-hmm. how they felt from, you know, the week before to, to the week later, or, you know, sometimes it's going to be longer and stress reduction is big. Uh, mm-hmm. And, looking at like pain reduction of, of gastric pain and bloating uh, could be something reduction of, of things like, you know, constipation. I mean, that's a relatively simple one in most cases um, to help people with uh, reflux can be totally, you know, reduced they, they, their sense of neuropathy and, and, and pain and, and sensation in, in feet and hands can be really, really uh, improved. And so, you know, you, you get, yeah, so we've got some really very, very good feedback from a quality of life standpoint. I'm, you know, there's no convincing, I need no convincing of the impact of it. And we need to do more publications around this to, to get this, you know, more recognized, I'd say, in the, in the broader, uh, in the broader um, community. Uh, and then also to get this more integrated into medicine, I would say, through controlled trials. But um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, um, the reflections from patients is is can be just transformative. Like it's uh, uh, and that's so rewarding because it just you know it's so validating for the work that we're doing. But it's really the work that the patient's doing in this too, right? <laughs> they're yeah. they're they, they're making the the changes that they need in their lives to help them become more transformed. And you know, like there's many scenarios where, where patients are, you know, on a trajectory that is, has a very poor prognosis and they're not going to, you know, they're not going to survive the, the, the diagnosis. And that's, that's just part of the picture, but it's like, it's giving them some space to, I don't know, live better within that is also, um, I think so important for them and for their family members. And, uh, well, you know, this better than anyone in palliative care, my gosh, I mean, Palliative care is so holistic in itself, right? You have to approach the patient from from different ways, and, and uh, 
Yeah, it was interesting. My 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 dad was he he was actually he became a board member for the Naturopathic College in Toronto, where I, when I was uh, when I was in Toronto, and um, his early reflections on naturopathic medicine was that there was an affinity, there was a similarity in some ways with palliative care, which was very holistic. So he got it quickly in terms of you know what was interesting and in, uh, for me in this, anyways. But yeah, absolutely, and. Um... Yeah, I, I told you beforehand, I mean, the, the lessons your dad has brought to my world, an amazing palliative care doc. And then before I got to meet him, he was a nephrologist, uh, dean of medicine. I, yeah, he, I, I could I could pretty much guarantee I wouldn't be doing palliative care if it wasn't for uh, your father, John Seeley. So, um, yeah, I, I can't speak enough about how much I respected him and how much he's done for us. Yeah. I know you've you've had the opportunity to do a bit of research in your world and and adding adding that complimentary piece uh, to some of the conventional medicine. What's your experience been with that? And um, what are you excited about these days? Yeah, research is the uh, like I, I I've 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 been in in research since graduating, and that was where I, I did more at the beginning actually, and um, feeling just the need for more research into complementary and integrative medicine because there is there are those misconceptions, and there is you know there, there we need more evidence for where things are the most effective, no question. So um, I'm very excited about research and. Uh, we, we've, we've had the opportunity to do some clinical trials uh, in conjunction with the Ottawa Hospital, and uh, um, that's been wonderful. We uh, completed a long study on melatonin, in fact, for non-small cell lung cancer, and that was, that was with work with, with, uh, with my brother, Andrew Seeley, who's a thoracic surgeon, as you know. And so we actually just recently published that in one of the, the Lancet Oncology journals. So that was, that was sort of helped build the, the infrastructure. And, but that was a placebo controlled RCT, randomized controlled trial, you know, very almost like a drug trial, but using a natural health product. And then from that, we sort of, we, we had the infrastructure to, to look at a more pragmatic, holistic approach to care. Uh, and so we're looking at, at, we're now looking at the delivery of integrative medicine through naturopathic doctors at the Center for Health Innovation to patients that are also receiving and that have had surgery or are about to have surgery at the hospital. And then we'll have, uh, we're going to be giving them a year's worth of care essentially to try to shift their long-term outcomes with the disease and to support quality of life. And we've got a whole battery of outcomes that we're looking at and um, have been just blessed to be able to work with a group of physicians and scientists at the Ottawa hospital that are, that are, you know, making this possible. Um, so that's, that's really exciting right now. That's super exciting. Cause you know, I think we don't talk enough about like that latter project of, you know, post-surgery, getting that complimentary, having that complimentary approach because, you know, family doc, as you mentioned, family docs are busy. You're not going to see your surgeon for a lot of the issues that, you know, that might come about, but to have that practitioner to support you, whether it's, you can't sleep, whether it's a, you know, pain, uh, concerns, whether it's your appetite, your diet, like all these things that matter are being actually addressed in a, 
in a holistic, intensive manner. I, I mean, this is to me, it's the future. Like if we if we're being serious about health, we have to be able to be more holistic in that way. So that what you're, what you're throwing down is actually really exciting, and I hope um, other places would would be modeling something similar because without knowing the ultimate result, it, it's not it's not going to hurt. <laughs> That's yeah. for sure. It's it's well, I really hope it is the future, and I think it is, and it's it's low tech, low cost um, medicine actually, you know, mm. and and it, it really is is it is patient-centered and it's bringing them into the picture of their own care more effectively. And, you know, who's more invested in their health than the patient? No one. So if you can give them some tools to help support them in their health and, and educate them on them, it's going to make a difference for sure. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't think we own the, uh, you know, the, the monopoly on holistic medicine, the hospital is trying to be holistic. There's no question mm-hmm. about that. And um, there are siloed pieces within the hospital, all of that. But the, the, I think that the, the, the complementary medicine piece is a forgotten piece and it's just left out of the picture. And it's just, it's, it's hurting the patients and it's hurting the system. We're, we're looking at cost effectiveness in this study as well. And we're working with, uh, with one of the, the scientists at the ORHRI, Kidnappa Thaborn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we work with her tons. She's amazing. She's amazing. And, um, and so we're looking at that effect. And, I, and we did a study that was published in the CMAJ in 2013 that was incorporating naturopathic medicine alongside conventional medicine and we saw a cost savings of over a thousand dollars per person per participant in that study and that was looking at cardiovascular disease risk reduction and um and we saw a reduction in risk of over three percent it was statistically significant and we also saw a reduction in metabolic syndrome of i think it was 14 percent and that was you know that that was in a randomized pragmatic trial that we did with canada post um, and that was published in the CMAJ and, um, yeah, so like there is evidence for this and, and, uh, we need to build on that, but this is low cost medicine and it absolutely makes sense to incorporate. Um, we're, we're missing the whole boat on the environment and the community as part of the, 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 the picture and all that. But anyways, it's, uh, yeah. So I, I really hope, as you say, like this is more of the future of medicine and we can keep developing our new technologies. Wonderful. That's great. But let's use some of these fundamental parts of how we support people. Yo, like you don't know this about me, but that's like my whole area of research is on how to reduce spending. And so that's why I've worked heavily with uh, Kidnappo no kidding. in the context of end of life care and ICU related, you know, uh, interventions. But, um, this, you're like, I mean, you're speaking my language, especially like the, the, for me, what is slowly like eventually just come to fruition is a lot of you want to save healthcare dollars. It's all about prevention. Totally. You don't walk into an ICU. You, that, that admission could be like twenty thousand to fifty thousand dollars. One patient. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah. One yeah. percent of gross domestic product goes to taking care of critically ill patients. And so, you know that element of of investing in prevention and however way you see fit like jump on it and then it's, it's also i hate to say this but like i didn't realize this about that 2013 study in, in the cmaj 
but like, why is that not being amplified? <laughs> why is that not being like, where's the knowledge translation with that bad boy? Yeah. You know, like it's, it's, yeah. I mean, it doesn't sound, I mean, maybe it is a complicated intervention. I don't know, but without reading the paper, but it sounds not that complicated and you're improving outcomes and saving dollars. Boom. Yeah, I, I, I think so. And I, I like, I, I mean, it's a much bigger discussion, obviously, but in terms of, you know, how the, the whole socioeconomic structure of medicine is, is, is geared. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm an advocate for the right use of the right prescription medications and pharmaceuticals at times, no question. Um, they can be life changing and life saving, but our reliance on pharmaceuticals and um, is just, it distorts medicine. And, and I think mm-hmm. that, uh, so that's part of the picture. Like, and I don't know, like it, it feels like there is just almost like an orchestrated approach to try to suppress um, what can be more empowering to the patients and more effective. And, and complementary medicine just gets short shrift and shortchanged and denigrated in, in, in like Twitter. Like I said, like there's, there's, there's serious public figures that are, that, that make, have made a career out of, out of sort of debunking as they call it um, complementary medicine. And mm-hmm. yeah, there's some, there's some stuff that needs to be debunked, I guess, for sure. I, I, I've been involved in, 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 in some of that research as well, but to take the whole thing and say, it's all, you know, it has no value. It's, it's ridiculous. And it's, um, yeah. and it's, it's doing a disservice to public health. It, you, like one of the, I, I started to jump in there, but one of the biggest, cause I mean, we'd be doing a disservice if we don't bring up COVID. There's two things that come up to mind when it comes to holistic or complementary medicine that I think has been interesting. So we're how many months into this pandemic years over a year. And what has been absolutely clear to me has been the concerns about metabolic health and uh, COVID mm-hmm. outcomes. Right. Like it's, and it's like you're right now, I apologize. I'm getting news requests to talk about in the news about younger patients getting, getting sick from COVID. Yeah. And when the things that you're not going to hear in the news is that the ones that we're seeing in their fifties, late forties, they still have poor metabolic health. They still are diabetic and obese. Yeah. These are risk diabetic. factors, right. For, for, to, for worse outcomes. So we should be approaching yeah. that group. Absolutely. Proactively to get them into a better state of health. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. I, and I'm just thinking like, you know, what was it? Say like May, 2020, when COVID cases were going down, we're going into the uh, summer months. And it's, it was a quite apparent that, you know, things just was, was settling before the second wave. What an opportunity to be able to, promote healthy living totally and so that was one thing that would love to hear your input on and the second is i've never in the medical community i I think this is i I still don't understand this so there's links to um low vitamin d to to poor outcomes for sure right yes um whether it's the chicken or the egg like you're, you're metabolically unhealthy so you have low vitamin d or because you have low vitamin d levels you're uh prone to covid for me, the data is not clear, but supplementing somebody with vitamin D is like as close to benign as you could get. You know what I mean? Like it's going to be exceptions. You got kidney or like kidney stones or something like maybe, but like for the general public, there's almost little downside. 
But you bring this up to infectious disease docs or anybody tied to COVID, they'll be like, there's no evidence for this. There's no evidence. But what? Maybe there is. <laughs> like, are we studying this any to any great extent? Anyway, well, sorry. I, I don't I'm, mean to. No, it's, uh, I'm so glad you asked the question because we are actually, we are submitting to Health Canada literally in the week. Um, a clinical trial for the application of a micronutrient, well, ma- sorry, micronutrients at, at high doses, including vitamin D, zinc, K, and um, vitamin C mm-hmm. for COVID control in the, in the community to, suppre- to reduce the severity um, and duration of symptoms that people are dealing with. So we are, we're, and it's going to be placebo controlled. We are doing this RCT. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm working with uh, Dr. Kuman and Wilson, who is the co-PR oh, yeah, yeah. study. Yeah, and, um, so we're uh, we're getting this into the um, uh, Health Canada. We're going to be running this trial in partnership with the Ottawa Hospital. Vitamin D has definite data to support it being used, and many people are deficient, and that's not. Like uh, as far as yeah, prevention, med- preventative medicine, we should be looking at people's vitamin D status. I don't know if annually, but at least every couple of years, and that one has been delisted from one of the tests that are covered by OHIP, which is just I don't understand that at all. I run it all the time with my patients because, mm. and they they pay their thirty or forty or dollars or whatever for it, um, and it's useful because then you get a sense of where their status is, and from a cancer perspective, it has a role. And for a COVID perspective, it seems to have a role. And as you say, even if there was no benefit, the risk of its application is virtually nil. A hundred percent. But like it's, it's almost taboo to bring it up. This is a thing like, uh, you know, which is to me, yeah. this is the, the part for me that really irks me. And I, and I'm not, I don't know. I, I think I, you know, I went to medical school. I saw the same same uh, data and approaches to to problems as everybody else, but there's this mentality. I, it's got to be placebo, randomized controlled trial. Like there's still a there's still a place in medicine for therapies that we think are beneficial. That's not showing harm, yeah. no signal towards harm. Yeah. And the other thing, Google, that gets me a little bit perturbed is. When we do these studies, we do them generalized. We don't really try and personalize it a bit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so if there's 10 COVID patients, maybe there's one or two that have a specific, unique characteristic that really tells us or gives us a signal that they would benefit from vitamin D or any of the, the micronutrients that we were just talking about. But we don't try and, we don't try and look at that. And I don't know. And it just kind of baffles me within this scientific medical community why aren't we being more analytical in that sense well the uh, yeah i mean the rct is designed more for the benefit of the particular intervention (laughs) than for the person necessarily and so i think there's pragmatic research that you can look at that is more individualized that is good um but uh but our model of research not that and i i love the rct model because it's a very you know, from a scientific standpoint, you can really get clear answers of causation, but, you know, it has a lot to, it's lacking a lot in terms of the real way that medicine is applied. And, mm-hmm. and as you're pointing out, the individualization of the, ther- of, the, of the person. And it really is geared to support the marketing of a particular drug. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I've become quite cynical about that, but I, mm-hmm. I think that's the reality of it. 
more than actually providing the benefit to the patient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, yeah. I, I mean, I, more years of getting involved in research, you do start to wonder. You know, you start to question some of these things. Anyways, yeah, I I just think there needs to be a little bit more open mindedness in our world right now, and less. I don't know if it's political or I don't know if it's siloed. I don't know if it's just black and white thinking. We just need to be more open-minded, explore, you know, there there could be answers there that we're just not entertaining because of, you know, not thinking widely enough because, because you were so passionate about talking about vitamin D. I'm wondering if we could do some like quick hitters, if maybe they're not quick hitters, but Hmm. other kind of, underappreciated tools for your, your choice, sleep, mood, weight loss, cardiovascular health. Cause once again, I don't get to talk to a naturopath that often. And sometimes there's these elements that I've, there's these supplements I've never really seen in clinical practice. I'll give you a quick example. Like one of our producers on the show can't stop talking about L-notroxone. Oh, low-dose naltrexone? Yeah. Yeah, low-dose naltrexone for, and as an anti-inflammatory and all these things. You're not seeing this in the conventional media, for example, or in in, in medicine. And I mean, I don't know the data, but this is what I'm seeing. If there's any of um, some of these medicines or treatments that come to mind when, with, with some of the common practices that, or common conditions that you see. Yeah. Uh, yeah, interesting. Low dose naltrexone. I know that um, our nurse practitioner will use that. So it's off label. So it is a prescription med, but um, you know, for conditions like chronic fatigue, and actually has, you know, seen significant improvement in that. And mm-hmm. um, there are so there's a variety of of, of 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 I'd say supplements that I find can be helpful. Uh, things like magnesium and vitamin D. And, and, and even vitamin C to some degree, um, you know, can, can, can facilitate change for the patient. Magnesium I use frequently. Melatonin, not in all cases. And there, there are scenarios where there would be, you know, either contraindications or adverse events that could occur. But by and large, it can be quite supportive for people for sleep. And there's other roles for it as well. There is, you know, um, mushroom extracts for, for, for the management uh, and support of immune function to some degree as well. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, like uh, there is uh, alpha lipoic acid. I mean, there's a whole constellation of these that are, that are available that, um, you know, that, that have a role and have some evidence for, for application. But, you know, it's not it's not a slam dunk in terms of you're going to say like every person with this case is going to be dealing with this. Um, so I, that's where I think we do need more evidence on specific agents to say, this is really effective for this condition. But mm-hmm. so, but looking at it more from a functional standpoint and you see how people respond, then, then that's some evidence for them individually. Uh, and then we can do some testing in terms of inflammation or, you know, vitamin D status to see where they're at to and engage it there. Uh, you, there's blood sugar management that you can do through, you know, to some degree supplementation and obviously diet. Yeah. So it's a. Uh, um, Out of curiosity, you, two though that I'm, I'm curious. So can uh, times where you think about using magnesium and then also some complementary medicines that you're thinking about for blood sugar management. 
just saying, I'm just curious. So um, there is uh, the the evidence is spotty on this, but cinnamon, alpha lipoic acid, berberine have roles to play in terms of blood sugar management. You know, for someone who's got you know serious diabetes and their blood sugar and their HbA1c are you know quite over you know six. Uh, you know, I would rather them to be on metformin. Like that's, you know, that's where I would be more comfortable with. But if someone's, I don't even know if I like the term pre-diabetic, but uh, someone who's like, um, someone who's got more likelihood to develop diabetes down the road, I'm going to be looking at, you know, diet and exercise as fundamental. And then maybe some of these supplements to try to, to bring the sugar, blood sugars down a little bit. Um, magnesium, incredibly can be incredibly supportive for people who have uh, restless leg syndrome or uh, is dealing or dealing with constipation or headaches or muscle pains. Like I, I can see some major changes in people with that very quickly and talk about a low risk supplement. I mean, you know, the worst scenario you're going to get is you take too much, you get diarrhea, right? I mean, that's, yeah. you know, it's sort of a self-limiting kind of a thing, but um it's, uh, I think where it becomes more risky is where someone's going to use, you know, that particular agent instead of something that, you know, is, is, is really necessary for them in, in, in a more serious condition. But mm-hmm. from, from the prevention standpoint and the supportive standpoint, these can definitely be, um, have a role. Dougal, this has been a slice. This <laughs> has been a lot of fun. I've learned a ton. It's a bit inspiring, not only in terms of, you know, promoting complementary medicine, but just adding that integrative approach. I know, I know right after I'm getting off the, getting off with you, I'm looking up that CMAG 2013 study. Cause like I said, that's right up my alley and it's what we're all about trying to, you know, improve outcomes and reduce spending. And, uh, and I'm just, yeah, like I said before, I, I'm a little disappointed that it hasn't been like amplified tons, but hopefully this won't hurt. Yeah. But, uh, I, I really appreciate you, you coming on and uh, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thank you very, very much. Uh, really, it's been a total pleasure for me and, and really great to, to connect. Qualcast Nation, tell me knowledge wasn't being dropped all over the place with Dougal Seely. Thanks so much for doing that, my friend. Follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, at Quadcast. Leave any comments at quadcast99.gmail.com. Please leave that five-star rating. We love you. It makes a difference. It helps with the visibility. Go to iTunes or Spotify to throw down. And guys, thanks for your commitment. Thanks for the love. We feel it. Stay safe. Peace.